And welcome again this morning to HBF. If you're joining us online, again, I want to thank you for joining us. And I uh, hope you took advantage of that opportunity to text 94,000 at H or HBF guests at 94,000 at the number 94,000. And uh, we'd love to get connected with you if you are online with us. If you uh, do not have a Bible, uh, we will be on page 1,632 in the Bibles that are in the seat rack in front of your chair. There should be one near you. And uh, if you don't have one, you can even flag an usher. They'll get you one. We'll get you connected and directed in the Word of God. And so uh, so we're getting into the text one more time. We're going to finish up chapter 3 this morning. And uh, we've been uh, camping out here in First John chapter 3, allowing the Holy Ghost to fix our, our daddy issues. Uh, because we all understand that uh, if you... How many of you have been through D1? I'm kind of curious. It's a survey. So several of you have been through Discipleship 1. You're in Discipleship 1. So you'll remember when we were in D1, we talk about the two families, two spiritual families, right? And, and, uh, and whether people know it or not, um, we have daddy issues because we're born in this world and our father uh, is the devil, right? We're, by nature, we're sinful. And uh, Jesus told the Pharisees, even the Sadducees, that their father was the devil. I mean, that's just shocking, especially for religious people. And of course, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. God sent his son to die on the cross in our place so that we could have a relationship with him, so we could be born again, and our Father would be, of course, in heaven. And that's what Jesus Christ provides for us, is uh, our relationship with the Father through the Son. He is our advocate, chapter 2 of 1 John. He is our propitiation. He's our replacement for sin. So he has reconciled us to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and thereby given us the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us at the moment of salvation. We're born again by his spirit, Titus says. Okay, so you guys kind of know all that. Many of you know that. That's kind of review for you. And that's why First John is so important in chapter 3, because uh, it's important that we understand that uh, we are the children of God. And because of that, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for the catching away of the church. Right now, there's a lot of tension, a lot of folks focused on uh, you know, a lot of issues and so social issues, I think. There's a lot of uh, tangible Tension. If I have several conversations a week about several different issues, and so I know folks are, are stressed and they're pressed. But I just want to encourage you this morning, because really there's some things, as big as all that may be in your life, in your world, there's some things even bigger. And uh, that is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as John, now you've got to put this in context, first century, John, the apostle, I mean, this guy's doing hard time. Uh, he will be doing hard time in Patmos. Uh, I mean, this guy's not, he's, he's a guy that's under oppression. Domitian is the, is the ruler, uh, eventually will be. Uh, they'll put him on an island, and they're going to lock him away because they literally can't kill him. Uh, at least that's what we learned from historians uh, in the past. The, the, uh, the, uh, we don't really know in the Word of God, there's no record of how he finished his race, other than uh, we know that uh, late in the first century there, in 96 AD, he was caught up. Uh, in heaven, time traveled, saw the book of Revelation, you know, got the revelation of Jesus Christ, which was now contained in the book of Revelation. But history records that he, they tried to boil him, kill him, they couldn't do it. So he's the only apostle, uh, the one that went all the way to the cross, who never uh, was martyred, not for lack of trying, right? <laughs> this guy, uh, this guy uh, was, had a pretty tough go. But by God's grace, he continued on, and he is now the elder statesman for the apostles, and he writes this letter, and he keeps saying, little children, little children. And he's want, like a father, he's wanting to take them to the Father in heaven and, and prepare them. In 1 John 2, 28, he says, Now little children, abide in him uh, when he shall appear, that when he shall appear, we may content, uh, have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So like uh, John, like a good father or 
good discipler wants his spiritual children to be prepared for the judgment seat of Christ. He wants them to have confidence before the Lord at his coming. And think about that, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ being imminent, which means what? It could occur at any moment, right? It could occur at any moment. While we're, uh, you know, it doesn't, we don't have to wait for um, the Feast of Trumpets or the Passover Feast or uh, anything like that, uh, although those things uh, it could occur during those cycles. But at the end of the day, the Lord could come any moment. The Apostle Paul was expecting the catching away at any moment. So, uh, and so that's amazing to think about. And so as uh, Paul, or I mean, as John writes, and he's writing about uh, uh, to, to these in First John, he's, he's wanting to encourage them uh, to be ready. If the catching away were to occur today, the fullness of the Gentiles were to be come in, would you be ready? Would you be ready this morning? You may say, well, Brian, you know, I'm ready because I'm born again. Uh, is that ready? Yeah, that's ready. You're ready to be caught up, praise the Lord. That's a big, that's a big deal. There may be some listening, maybe you're online, maybe you're even in the room, that really when it boils right down to it, let's just take the catching away, the rapture out. That may be some doctrine you're not you know, even understanding. Let's just put it this way. If you knew today was your last breath, are you ready? Are you born again? Do you know that you'd spend eternity at the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope everybody could say yes, but in your heart, you know if you are or you're not. And if you're not, you need to get ready. That's why. That's ultimately why this church exists. Uh, you know, our high priority, first priority, really is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that by presenting the good news that all men everywhere can be saved through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're about. But we're also about making disciples. Right? That's not just what John is writing about. He's, he's actually preparing them for the judgment seat of Christ. So when I ask, are you ready, that's kind of a twofold uh, question depending on your status as a child of God. If you're born again, well then, yeah, you're ready. I mean, if the Lord calls, you're going. But are you ready? Are you ready to, to give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, from the moment you got saved till the day that God catches us up? Or you die if that happens first. Now are we ready for that? Now that's another question. I, I'll be frank with you. I don't feel. I feel like I still have things I need to accomplish. So I don't. I don't personally feel like, like I'm ready. I'm like, man, Lord, I feel like maybe I need to. There's some things you got left. I need to get accomplished. Uh, and maybe, yeah, right. Maybe there's some things I wish I wouldn't have wasted my time doing. Right, because I need to get this done. Right, and so it's a, it's a balance of really stewarding this life. Right? So let me ask it a different way. Are you ready to give account for how you've been stewarding your life since the day you got saved? I mean, that's really what John is he's in, he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to be confident at his appearing. So when, when the Lord comes, I don't want you just to kind of be like, oh my goodness, man, I got all this garbage. Well, isn't that under the blood? Yeah, that's all under the blood. The garbage is under the blood. So what are you going to give account for? Well, the things that you were to accomplish according to God's will while you were in this carcass, right? What is it that God has saved you to be? Who is it he saved you to be, as I like to say? And then once you figure out your identity in Christ, you get your daddy issues set up, you know, your father's now in heaven. You're like, oh, that's my dad. That's my example. That's who I'm following. Then you know what? Now I can do that which you've saved me to do. What's the next right step, God? Tell me what it is and I'll do it, right? And if we have that attitude every moment, every day, man, you are going to be ready at the catching of the way. Whether you got all your work in or not, you're going to be ready because you've been living your life for Christ. And so I think you guys get that. And that's, that's what John has really been 
you know, focusing on here in this third chapter. So this question for little children and young men and for fathers, it applies to all, but, but are you confident this morning that you will not only appear before the Lord at His coming, but that you will hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I will tell you, I, I think we've had many a saint check out of here, and that's what they're going to hear at the judgment seat of Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think at the catching away, if it happens today, I'm confident there's many of you in this room. The Lord would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I don't know about everybody. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't matter what I think. Because you don't live your life for me. It doesn't really matter what I think. What matters is what does God think. Right? That's, what really, that's who we're serving here. And so that's what we need to be ready for. Now, in 1 John chapter 3, these, these uh, 24 verses really reveal to us that the love of God leads us to confidence in Christ at his coming. So before we jump into the text this morning, I want to just do a little review. Uh, we've been looking at this relationship with the Father, behold the love of the Father. We've looked at how we uh, need to behold our relationship as sons of God, 1 John 3, 1 through 2, and also our relationship with the world, also found in those verses. Because you are a son of God, it automatically uh, makes a, gives us a different relationship with the world. We just sang about it, that defiance uh, business. What is, what is that talking about? Uh, I will not bow to sin or to the shame. Why? Because you bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this, this angst, right? This, this tension. We're no longer uh, of this world, though we are in the world. And increasingly, of course, that's going to be made manifest as the days go on. You're, you're in the light or you're not in the light, right? So we'll keep talking about that. Then we saw, behold, our relationship to sin, right? The, the world and sin and there's a world system that is against God, but there's also the sin of our flesh. And we talked about personal and, and practical holiness versus positional holiness. So we spent several weeks kind of t- touching on that. And then we last week we got into this, uh, this last part in verses 7 through 24. Behold our relationship with our brother. And I didn't get too far into the, the, uh, the brother part because I was talking about not being deceived last week. But I'd like you to just look in the text Let's just read all of this in the entirety, starting in verse 7 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll break this out and finish up. It says, Little children, let no man deceive you. Uh, 1 John 3, 7. He that doeth righteousness, well, he is righteous, even as he is righteous, he says. Verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Uh, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous." Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, that's where we left off last week. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, 
Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. There's a verse on assurance. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby know uh, know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Spirit that you have given us that abides in us. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the instruction that we have read and received from your word. And Lord, the love of God is uniquely revealed through our love for others. I pray, God, that you would bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of your word and prepare us for that day when we are standing before you at the judgment seat of Christ. And Lord, I pray, oh Lord, I pray that if there's anyone that's lost today, anyone that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that the love of God would overwhelm them and draw them into your perfect will. For Lord, it is the love of God. It's the goodness of God, Romans 2, 4 says that leads us to repentance. Lord, I pray that they would see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ today and have eternal life. Lord, they would understand the freedom of forgiveness and grace. I thank you and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated because you already are. All right, so <laughs> so we're, uh, so we're going to look at a little bit more review before we jump into uh, this text this morning. So we started back in verse 7. Last week we saw there was, there was to be no deception. And we talked about the contrast between uh, the behavior, right? He that is righteous um, is righteous. We just saw that in the text. We also saw that he that committed sin is of the devil. We talked about the seed of the devil. We talked about Cain. We noted the contrast in the families. Uh, the children of God are manifest. The children of the devil are manifest. And that's why the church is called together for the Lord's Supper. We looked at those points last week. We also noted the continuity of the message. This is the message he says. This is the second time John said that. In First John uh, 1, 5, he mentions it. And then he gives that message in chapter 3 and verse 11 uh, where, where he says, uh, for this is the message that she heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And that's where we're taking it this morning. Uh, and of course, it refers to that great commandment uh, that is found in Matthew 5, 43 through 44. Then the last thing we saw last week is it's no surprise, right? God's called us to, to love, but it's no surprise when the world hates us. We shouldn't be shocked at that. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, is what John said. Jesus was prepared or has prepared us to face the fact that the world will hate us. And I mentioned to you last week that Satan hated Adam, Cain hated Abel, Hitler hated the Jews, and Marxists have hated Christians for over 120 years. And so, and so that's just how it is. The world systems, the sin of this world uh, is actively working against uh, the goodness and the grace of God Almighty. So, uh, so we've seen all of that. There's no deception. We should have no deception. We should have uh, we have a different father and a different family and different behavior and a different message than the world. The good news is we have overcome the world. We just sang about that. So the one thing we need to know, if we're going to be ready for Jesus' coming and confident in his appearing, is the love of God. You've got to know God's love. <clears throat> and that's, of course, point number two. Know God's love. And when you when you hear that, it means different things to different ones of us, right? Because Knowing God's love is, is somewhat dependent on where you're at. 
Right? If you don't know Christ today as Lord and Savior, if you want to know the love of God, you've got to know what God did for you with his son on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's where you've got to start. You're not really going to experience the love of God by some mystical experience or, or just simply studying. You're going to have to come to a point of contrition and heart where you're willing to receive by faith what the Word of God says about the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the Word of God, literally Jesus Christ, into your heart for salvation. But for those that are saved, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There's some no statements that he puts in this part of First John chapter 3. And of course, the series is, this whole series is about to know God is to love God, right? And if you're going to love God, you're going to know God. So we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, do you, do you love your brethren? Amen, right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, really, I hope you do. Do you, I'm not talking about your earthly brethren, but you should love them too. You know, really, we're to love our enemies. I, I, I talked about that last week as well. But we are to love our brethren. That's a good test right there. It's a good test of, of where we stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like, I don't really like my brothers. I just like to come to church, but man, I hate the people there. I hear preachers say that all the time. <clears throat> you know, ministry is great if it wasn't for the people. Well, really? I mean... The people are what makes ministry. The people are what Jesus is all about. And so, um, I mean, really, I know what people mean by that, right? But at the end of the day, people are precious to God. He loves us in spite of ourselves. All right, well, we get the love of God. So this isn't the question about God's love. The question now is, do we know that kind of love? Do we love people the way God loves people? That's, that's what he's asking. That's what John is, is writing about. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. I don't know about you all, but I didn't have any particular fondness for church people until I got saved. And man, I, I mean, I, I got saved. I never, yeah, I came up in the, I mean, listen, my dad was a, he was born in that, you know, in the early 40s and um, in World War II and, you know, just a different world. So we didn't just like run around the house hugging each other all the time. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I do that. I, I hug Sam a lot. But uh, you know where I learned to hug men? You know, because that was kind of like, that's kind of, man, I don't, we, real men don't hug men. But I'll tell you what, when I got saved, I started going to church, and it was a church full of men's men. I mean, these aren't a bunch of wimps. And you know, guys, you guys, it's like guys like Mark Lockwood come up and give you a hug, and you're like, whoa. But you know what, I, figured, I realized I needed that. I needed that. And it started softening my heart. Because there were some things about the brethren. I was like, man, this is cool. I mean, these guys actually love each other. You know, and uh, you don't have to hug men to love other men. I'm not saying that. As a matter of fact, today we've got to be careful with that. So just don't misunderstand what I'm saying. <coughs> it still can get weird. All right. There's like a time frame. There's three pats in a time frame. After that, you've gone too far. So anyway. <laughs> but I think you're catching what I'm when I came to church, I remember this lady named Gwen, first time into the church building after I got saved. This delightful lady named Gwen, I don't remember her last name, shook my hand, shook Amy's hand. Amy was with me. Just sweet as could be. Uh, and this other guy, Danny, uh, Danny Gobble, he's still a friend of ours. I got to know him. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Invites me to, hey, you want to play softball? Now, they knew I was the new guy. I'm the only guy in the whole, this is back when everyone used to dress up for church. I'm the only guy in the church building that's in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, right? Because I didn't get the memo. <laughs> so, so they know this guy has not been to church lately. And so, uh, and so but you know what? I, it didn't bother me because I, you know what I did sense from him? That they genuinely, they cared. It was the love of the brethren. 
you know, that's a little contagious. It's a little contagious. When folks, when, when you sense the love of God from others, man, you just, unless something's wrong with you, um, it's kind of contagious. We have no, um, if we have no love, point one, we have no life. We have no love, we have no life. And he says here in verse 14, very plainly, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. You know, we even talk about that. What, what do you call a church where there's no life? People say that all the time. Oh, that church is dead. Or is it because they don't have enough programs? Is it because they don't have enough money? Is it, what is it? What makes it dead? What makes it dead is a lack of a love for God, which is a, a love for his word, right? If we want to get, get right down to it, you can't love God apart from his word. And a love then for others. Because if you love God's word, not just know it, but if you love it, you're going to love other people. So 1 John 2.10 says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there's none occasion of stumbling in him. Right? They're going somewhere. You know why our church is going somewhere? It's not because Pastor Brian has vision. Pastor Brian has light. I have light. I know what the Bible says. I know what time it is. I know where we're going. Why? Because we have light in God's Word. So yeah, we're going somewhere because we've got the light of God's Word. But what are we going to do with that light? Where we're going to love. Right? That's what we do with the light, is we use it to love others. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, I'm not for time's sake and for the sake of this message, I'm not going to get into the different types of love, because there's a love of this world that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We're talking about a divine love, right? We're talking about a love that God gives us. Um, you know, for, uh, J- uh, Peter figured out, man, if, you can, if I can just love like a, with a Philadelphian love, that'll be good, because we can, we can not love as much as God loves us. You cannot outlove God, but wouldn't it be good if we tried? Man, you spend your life trying to love like God loves, and guess what? You'll be okay at the judgment seat of Christ. You'll be prepared for the judgment seat of Christ. So, so John has really taken the conversation to chapter 4, and we'll get there uh, <clears throat> next week. But he says, if any man love God and hated his brother, he's a liar. Right? So some of you might be a liar this morning. You say, oh, I love God, but I hate Sister Susie. We don't have any Susies in here, do we? Um, <laughs> you know, I love God, but I hate brother Give me a name we don't have, right? I was going to say Billy Bob. I, we may have a Billy Bob. I don't know. But anyway, right? We can't say we love God and then we turn around and say, I hate my brother. Well, why is that? Well, because if he's, if he's your brother, Christ is in him. You hate Christ. You, and, and I was just, Jeff Trude, I don't think, did he, is he not here today? Is he ill? I wore him out, poor guy. So I was just telling him this week, we went to a certainty conference, I was just telling him this, this last week, a piece of my testimony, he didn't know. When I first got saved, I just used to have this uh, cynical attitude, and certain brothers, I just didn't like them. I mean, I was just that carnal, and uh, I didn't like their personality or whatever. And every one of those, and I'm going to not, I'm not naming names, but you know some of them. <laughs> every one of them, God forced me through the ministry to have a relationship with and turned my carnality into a love for them and some of my best friends in the ministry and in the battle i might add of of uh, have, have been people that at one time i'm like whatever 
that person is whatever. You know, I had that judgmental attitude. But what did God do? God changed my heart. He replaced it and let me see him through his eyes and let me also appreciate the things I love. Pat and I just did a little exercise in the, the Warriors. That's a good exercise. Kind of compliments this, Pat. But, you know, you can see Christ through, through people uh, when you have God's love. And, and this is the commandment that we have for him, that he that loveth God love his brother also, he says. So John had witnessed Jesus love his brothers firsthand as he is the only disciple who followed him all the way to the cross. So John knows a little something what he's talking about here. Those who have no love for their brother, well, they have no life. That's what he said, no eternal life abiding in them. We know that Cain, um, we know that Cain mentioned in 1 John 3, 12, hated his brother Abel and murdered him. Joseph, a type of Christ, was hated of his brothers because of his relationship with his father. Now, in Genesis 37, 4 through 8, the Bible says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. What is that? They were jealous. You know, jealousy, emulation, often will affect your relationship. If, if someone's walking close to God like Joseph was, his brothers didn't like it. Right? The, the other twelve. Now, they were all part of the promises, even the very dreams that he was getting. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brethren, that was a mistake, and they hated him the more, it says in Genesis 37, verse 5. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we, have, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made uh, obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, most of you probably already know that, that Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, jo- Jesus is the anti-type, and, and that's not like, don't confuse that with anti-Christ. That just means he's the authentic thing. He is the fulfillment of Joseph's uh, picture. In John fifteen twenty three, the Bible says, He that hateth me, well, you hate my father also. If I, had, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not, uh, had not, they had, not had sin. But now they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. You know, there was just this hatred for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know, I did things for them that, absolutely proved I'm the son of God, yet they hated me. Why? Because, he, because like Joseph, right? He had a special relationship with the Father. And the more he revealed to them about his special relationship, his words, the more they hated Jesus. Hey, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated Jesus. So we want to be careful not to allow hatred to build in our heart. Let's talk about our hearts, not someone else's. You know, though we may not actually murder our brothers, God knows our hearts just as he knew the hearts of Joseph's brothers and the heart of his brethren, the nation of Israel. A heart of hate is the opposite of love, and it is what placed Jesus Christ on the cross. Hatred is what's going to initially—it starts in the heart, but eventually can work its way out in actions and erupt in murder. Now, point two, if no murderer—it says no murderer— hath eternal life abiding in him. So here's the question. If no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him, what about murderers God has redeemed throughout history? I mean, what if you're a murderer here this morning or you're watching online and you're a murderer? Uh, We have had that happen a time or two, right? So there's been people 
That, and maybe I don't even know about your details of life, but you're like, man, what about me? Well, I'll tell you, God has a plan for you. You're asking really good questions. Because some of the greatest saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament were murderers. So how's that job? Is that a contradiction in the Bible? But we'll see. The first one I could point you to is Moses, right? He was a murderer in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, and he looked this way and that way, right? He did this number, right? And then it says that uh, he saw that there was no man. He slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, he felt justified, right? Because his people were in bondage and they were being mistreated. And so he looks this way and he looks that way. He's a prince of Egypt, right? Raised in Pharaoh's house. And he oversteps his own authority, right? Uh, and he, he slays an Egyptian, buries it, hides it in the sand. Thinking nobody knew. But of course, uh, the Hebrews knew. And eventually... It didn't give him any favor. That's how he ended up running off in the wilderness for 40 years, running from God as a murderer. Because once Pharaoh found out, he was no longer in good stead. Slaying an Egyptian over a, a Jew? What was wrong with Moses, right? Moses was not to do that. And so it was definitely a, 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 a problem in Moses' life. But what happened to Moses? Well, Moses, he wrote the, he Listen, Moses received... The words of God. He received the words of God. You know what Moses did? Even in the Old Testament, there's a word you find all the way back with Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Moses found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God gave him a law. A law that even Moses, by its own admission, would be convicted by. So what in the world? If God says, you know, you're a murderer, in the Old Testament, there's a capital punishment. Why wasn't, why wasn't Moses murdered? Because of grace. Because of grace. And he not only was he not murdered, God used him to steward the law. The very law that's in the front of our Bible. The very law that Jesus himself would fulfill. And of course, many of you would know Saul of Tarsus, right? Who is now Paul, as we get most of these epistles in the New Testament. Acts 1, 8, 1. And Saul was consenting unto the death, <clears throat> being of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. I mean, Saul was so fierce that he, he caused a dispersion of the church. God was, he was working for God even when he wasn't trying, right? In his persecution of the church. Now, it, it ultimately meant that he was going to kill Stephen. In Acts twenty two twenty, his own testimony, and when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So what happened? Well, he was responsible. He was a man that was responsible. Now this, for those of you that have been in church, you went through the Acts study, most of us know this. Okay, you know, he also, on the road to Damascus, right? God called him and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The rest of his life, he served Jesus knowing that he didn't deserve it, but he had grace and he wanted his brethren, the nation of Israel, to get that grace just like he had it because they also had slain Jesus Christ, right? And so Jesus, so he just was in a, on, a, on a mission for God to get the grace of God where it needs to go to the Jews, uh, to the kings, and to the Gentiles. Of course, he is the apostle or was the apostle to the Gentiles, and we have the bulk of the New Testament because of Paul, who was also a murderer. Isn't that interesting? So two men that would be convicted under the law of the land as murderers um, are now uh, responsible for giving us the written word of God. You know, God loves people. 
So what about David Berkowitz, Brian? I mean, okay, that's, that's the Bible guys. What about, what about the son of Sam serial killer who slew six people and wounded nine and is in prison to this day? Well, the Billy Graham organization endorses his testimony. And he has a website confessing his guilt, apologizing to everyone that he's affected, and uh, taking a, a, saying his salvation uh, does not take away all the pain and suffering that he has caused. And he's, he's uh, regretful of all of that. Uh, and, he, and he, by his own admission, but also the testimony of many others, says that he is now born again and that uh, he would spend eternity in heaven. Now, there's a lot of people who cannot take that. What do you mean? I mean, how can God save a murderer? Well, I don't know. How did God save Saul? How did God save Moses? Well, okay. What about, there's a guy named uh, Dooch. It's, it's pronounced Dooch, Dooch D-O-O-C-H. We might say Dutch, but uh, Doik, uh, Doik, I think is how they say it. Doik, Hang, Guck, Eve. I don't know. A Cambodian man. Cambodian man. Uh, he passed away last year, and and based on his testimony, uh, he's now absent from the body and present with the Lord. Yet before his salvation in a rural church plant led by an Asian American missionary. He received Christ before anyone knew he was a war criminal. He came to a Bible study and he sat in the back. I've watched the whole testimony of the, the, the pastor and the video. And, and they, as, as the gospel was preached, eventually it just, it just thawed his heart. Eventually he moved closer and closer. He got saved and became a disciple. Now nobody knows he's a murderer yet. But as he goes and he grows in his walk, you know what? He can't shake it. I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. And so eventually he turns himself in over 20 years ago to the authorities in Cambodia. This is who I am. Who am I? He's the only, by the way, he's the only, um, the only officer, official from the um, Pol Pot's communist leadership to ever be tried. The rest of them got away or died or faded away. This is the only guy who raised his hand and said, hey guys, I just need you to know I'm this guy. I was a security guy for Pol Pot. And by his own admission, he's responsible for at least 17,000, 16, 17,000 murders of his own people. And under Pol Pot's regime, which he was a part of, which he should also stand trial for that, and he did, they murdered 2 million of their own citizens out of 8 million. So do the math. That's a quarter of the population. That's some pretty wicked stuff. You know what his testimony is? I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's grace. And you very you'll be shocked at all the murderers you're going to be spending eternity with. Pol Pot and his regime were wicked. Yet God is able to save anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. You can look it up. S21 prison, Cambodia. It's a museum today. They leave it so nobody does that again. It's so wicked. It's wicked. And yet God's able to save that man and did save that man. Let me ask you, how's God able to save you? It's easy to look at other people and say, wow. But what about you? I mean, I, my sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. And yet he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
You know, those who repent and trust Christ as Lord and Savior are forgiven of all their sin. And I'm not going to wow you with a bunch of verses. I'm just going to give you one simple verse, Romans 10, 13, one that many of us already know. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who is a whosoever? Does it include um, the, the guy who worked for Pol Pot? Does it include... Does it include serial murders? Does it inc- who does that include? Oh, let me rephrase that. Who does it exclude? Nobody. Nobody who's willing to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Even, even a murderer can be forgiven because of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. God's grace is so uh, far more sufficient. I don't even think that's good English. But it, is, it excels so far above our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than some of our sin. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Woohoo! So now listen. If God has that kind of grace, like you can't touch him, man. I mean, he is holy, holy, holy. His grace is sufficient. He can, he can save anybody who will call upon his name. Then Really? Tell me about your problems with your brother. Oh, they cut you off in traffic? They didn't give you back your power tool? What, I mean, what is it? I mean, come on, man. Come on. Jesus is good. So here is how we perceive we are Christ's seed. John 3.16? No, 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We lay down our lives for our brothers. Practically, this means that we serve one another and place the needs of our brothers ahead of ourselves. So no narcissism, which is rampant in our culture, right? So especially in Western culture and world culture today because technology is breeding narcissism. So it's you, so when you decide, listen carefully because I'm not just making points here. When you decide to love God, you are going counterculture. Now think with me just a little deeper. We live in a culture right now. What's it's all, what is it all about? What, is, what are all the messages, not all, but many of the messages that you hear are all about dividing, dividing, dividing. Why? Because you've got to have yours. You've got to have yours. You've got to have yours. But we are all about reconciling. How is that? Because Jesus Christ He gave all for us. We're not here to divide. We're here to reconcile. The real message in the world today that is really profitable, that really can do damage to the kingdom of darkness, is this message of light that there is nobody that cannot be in God's camp if they simply bow the knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And you will not find a humbler, more incredible God in the universe than the God of the universe who has demonstrated that throughout time, and will be on display for all of eternity. So we lay our lives down for the brethren. Why? Because, well, why wouldn't we? Because we want to have joy. We've already covered that in a message several months ago now. Anybody remember that acronym for joy? Yeah, Jesus, others, and yourself, right? Joy. Jesus, others, and yourself. Jesus preached this Old Testament 
commandment. In John 15, 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that you might, that, <clears throat> sorry, uh, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So if you want to lay your life down for Christ, just do what he commands you. You don't necessarily have to become a martyr, although if he calls you to it, have a fun at it. But at the end of the day, God will take you to where you need to go. But the thing is, all of us have to daily consider our yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ. And practically speaking, that's to others. In our homes, in our jobs, in our churches. So point four, Jesus illustrated what that kind of love looks like. In 1 John three seventeen through 18, he says, But whosoever hath this world's good... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of mercy, his bowels of compassion, I should say, from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Look, go back to Luke 10. You're going to have to turn back because these aren't going to be on the screen. Luke 10, 25. Luke 10, 25. Now, the Bible's really clear here. Uh, Jesus is having a time with a, a lawyer, right? He happens to be the one who wrote the law. And so uh, these lawyers would have all these legal questions, and Jesus was always giving them the answers. Uh, they were amazed by that. So this lawyer comes up. It says in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, pick it up in verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. He thought he was going to give him a question he couldn't answer saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You've been talking about eternal life, Jesus. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. He said unto him, What is written in the law, Mr. Lawyer? How readest thou? What's your take on the law? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with, and, uh, and, and, uh, with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. That's Luke 10, 27. It's what we call the great commandment. And Jesus answers, and he says unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. So he's like, hey, man, you've got the answer. Just do it. I mean, way ahead of Nike, man. He's like, just do it. You're, you're there, man. Just get it done. You know what to do. Now you're responsible. Thank you. Go ahead. I'm not even going to charge you. Well, now the lawyer's like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. And he says in verse 28, and he said unto him, Thou hast, or verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So now he's going to get cute with Jesus and say, Oh, well, <clears throat> who is my neighbor? So Jesus gets into this story, which many of you are familiar with, called the, the, the story of the, uh, the uh, Good Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, as he set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, 
and said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was, uh, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now this illustration from the Lord Jesus Christ is obviously intended to get this attorney to, to really consider his own ways. The lawyer tried to trip up the lawgiver, but he couldn't do it. In the account of the Good Samaritan, it lays it out. There's this man that's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls among the thieves. They strip him of his clothes. They, they leave him half dead. And the priest goes by him. The Levite, both religious leaders, go by him. And finally, the Samaritan, who, by the way, is hated of the Jews, including the priests and the Levites. They wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They saw him and had compassion on him, according to verse 33. And that Samaritan, they, he bound up his wounds. He puts on his own, uh, gives, puts him on his own beast. He takes care of his end costs so he can recover. He says, "Hey, if he if he can't afford the met, all the the expenses here, let me leave some more money with you. And, and what I don't have, put it on my tab. Here's my credit card number. Just take just take care of it." So Jesus says, "Hey, let me ask you, smart guy. Who was the neighbor? Who was a good neighbor?" And of course. The lawyer wasn't no fool. He says down in verse 20 or 37, and he said, He that showeth mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You know, when you take the time with the Lord Jesus to ask questions, even if they're not sincere, you find out that you dig the hole a little deeper. And so this guy, if he'd have just stopped with neighbor, man, he'd probably have been better off. But now, he says, this is what you need to do, pal. You need to be like the Samaritan. You need, to, you need to cross culture. You need to love people that you don't want to love. Why? Because Jesus, that's what he was doing. Jesus had nothing to do with sin, yet he came and died for sinners. He didn't want to become sin, but he did anyway. Point B. We know that we are of the truth. We know we're of the truth. You know, are you authentic or are you not? And these are questions. These are I'm putting this message together, and I'm like, oh, Lord, help my love meter go up. You know, my dad, he passed away several years ago, and, and, and there was a, a weird tension in our relationship from the time I got saved uh, almost up till the time of his death because I wasn't quite sure what he thought of, of, of me being a Christian, right? Uh, especially not just a Christian, but I mean, and not a nominal Christian, but I mean a guy who's like all in, you know, so, you know, I mean, it's weird, right? So, I mean, if you, I think some of you know what I mean. Some of you probably don't know what I mean. But when you go all in for Jesus and you show up at certain places, it makes people uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Because you're not talking like they talk. You're not walking like they walk. And you're defiant a little bit. You're not going to, right? And, and it's just established. I'm not going there. I'm saved from that. I'm not, you know, it's just, it was a little weird. I wasn't sure what he thought about me, you know, being a preacher. But he always supported me. And and you didn't know, and you got to know the backstory, which I didn't know all of the backstory, why my why there was a little tension, because when my dad was a younger man, um, he got saved, and my aunt she told me she says no, your dad was he was saved, Brian. I'm telling you, because I was wondering like was he even saved, and she's like yeah he was saved, he used to come to my house for Bible study. I'm like what? Bible study? He never what? Oh yeah yeah, and, and she was telling me all about his when he first got saved and how zealous he was. But you know what happened? Well, he got his eyes off the Lord. And he started getting offended by the brethren. 
And he was a baby Christian, so he really wasn't getting discipled. Right? So you know what they used him for? They used him to build the basement at the church, and they used him to drive the bus to YFC, Youth for Christ. So my dad was even in ministry. Surprise, surprise. And so, and so here, but I knew growing up, the church and ministry were not his friend. And so when I got, that's why there was a little weirdness here, because that's the direction God called me. So I was fast forward the tape. Always, my dad was good to me. He always supported me. He came to this church and we planted it up here on commercial. I mean, so don't, I don't want to miss, I don't want to, I love my dad. I don't want to mischaracterize him. But there was always that weirdness. I'm like, well, Dad, what do you think? So finally, I had a trip to, up to the Mayo with my dad. He's, uh, it was before we knew what kind of cancer he had and all that, but things weren't going right. So I'd, I had the privilege of driving him up to Mayo. And so I just had to talk about all this, you know. And by the way, my, again, I told you my dad came from a different generation. It's not the kind of generation that wants to open up and talk, right, and uh, all that. It's pretty stoic. But you know what he did with me? He opened up and talked. And so I said, Dad, what's up, man? What, what, what do you think about all this? First of all, he told me he was proud of me. Which was awesome, because I wasn't sure what he thought about that. But secondly, he told me the, the, the reality of why he was where he was at. And all the things I just told you, he just got burnt out. I mean, he, he couldn't drive the bus, and they were on his case, and he's a torn between his own family and and he, they put a guilt trip on him if he didn't drive the bus the kids aren't going to come to church and he's like you can't put that on me and he just quit never went back i'm like oh man dad i'm so sorry i'm man that is not how the church is supposed to be nobody was sitting down with the bible taking through d1 nobody was loving on him like that that's why do you think i'm passionate about discipleship what do you think the difference is between Jim Hedges and Jim Hedges. It's only discipleship. It's only the love of the brethren. It's only people caring about my soul enough to take the word of God and impart it into my life so I can grow up from a little child into a young man, into a father. Right? That's why discipleship is so important. So you can bear the weight of ministry. You can't expect babies to do the ministry. Babies need to grow up, and they need a body to do that in. They need a family to do that in. So I, I get to visiting with him about all this, and we're talking, and we had a good conversation. It was wonderful. It was one of my sweetest memories of my dad. And uh, one of the things that he told me, I said, so, Dad, what do you see? Because I'm interested now. I'm just like, so what is a good Christian? I know it's not the pastor who has alcohol in the back seat or in the trunk after he's preached on not drinking. And I, I know it's not, right. Uh-huh. I know it's not the deacons that are doing this, that, and the other thing. Okay. Oh, okay, Dad, I get it. <laughs> Hypocrisy's not, okay. So he brings up, of all people, Stephen Baldwin. I'm like, Stephen Baldwin? He's like, yeah. He goes, I like, I like what that guy's doing for Christ. I'm like, really? I don't know if you guys even know Stephen Baldwin. His brother Alex very popular. Well, Stephen is a Christian. And so I found out. I thought this, this is, and there's a point. I'm going somewhere with this, so hang on with me. I know I'm going to kill the clock. But he's like, you know, Stephen, he invests in people. I see that he puts up skate parks, and I see what he's doing in California, and I see how he's interacting with those kids, and he's real. And man, I was like, you know what he saw? He saw the love of God. He saw somebody, of all, the, all of his examples, 
He associated, he was looking, what he was looking for was somebody that, that loved people, that really cared about people. And in his mind and his, the way he was viewing things, that was his example of someone who said that they was a Christian that actually invested in people. I was like, man, that was instructional to me. I was like, okay, that's cool. The way James said it is, you know what? I want you to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. You know what Jesus said to that lawyer? Hey, lawyer, guess what? You know what to do. I want you to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. That was instructional. So we are, we are of the truth, point B. I've already told you that. 1 John three nineteen through 23. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and, and assure our hearts before him. So this is what we need to have. I'm going to run through these quickly. Confidence. Confidence results from knowing we are of the truth. We should know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. This is, again, remember, we're going to the judgment seat of Christ, so our hearts need to be sure that we are in the truth. Are you in God's word? Are you loving God and you loving people? The great commandment doesn't go away. You know, Mark Trotter, a few years ago, he portrayed a a character called David Matthewson, as he would say. David Matthewson. Anyway, uh, if you knew Trotter, that dude, he used to be so ripped. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, back in the 90s. Uh, that has nothing to do with the message. But anyway, he did this enactment called Day Like No Other Day. And you know what he did in that thing? He just tried to prepare the body of Christ to get ready. He did what John is doing in this epistle. Just get ready for the judgment seat of Christ. Just think about where you're headed so you can be ready. Mark did this so that, that we can all be ready to assure our hearts before the Lord at his appearing. If you haven't seen it, you can go online and find it. If you got my notes online, there's a link to it. You can find that. Also, we need comfort. Comfort our heart, We need comfort of heart that results when we rest in the promise of God's word. You know, God is greater than our heart. Isn't that beautiful? John 3, 20 through 21. Those are beautiful words. Let's just let those sink in. For if our heart condemn us, oh, whose heart hasn't condemned him? God is greater than our heart. And he knoweth all things. How do you like this word beloved? Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. God is greater than your emotions. He's greater than how you feel about things. What he's dealing with is abject truth. You're you're someone that's born again. You're like, oh, but Brian, before I was saved, before you were saved, what? If you were saved, it's under the blood. Well, Brian, I'm saved, but yesterday, well, did you exercise 1 John 1, 9? Do you believe 1 John 1, 9? You've got to believe. You've got to for, you, listen, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just forgive your sins and cleanse you from some unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. Right, all unrighteousness. So quit wasting time and let God assure your heart so you can be confident in him at his coming. Have that comfort from the word of God. Those are comfortable words. But there's also a commitment to prayer and obedience to God's word that assures our hearts that we are of the truth. In 1 John 3, 22, he says, And whatsoever we ask, right, as we pray, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments. We're in his will. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You know, Luke eleven thirteen says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father give, uh, father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You know what I think my problem is oftentimes is I'm guilty of not asking enough. You ever feel condemned? You ever feel swallowed up? You're like, oh man, I'm not 
worthy of this, I'm not worthy of that. Well, yes, none of us are worthy, but we're still sons of God. And behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. Therefore, get right, get praying, and start asking God for more. I'm not talking about a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. I'm talking more of what God wants, more love. Oh, God, I'm not loving my enemies. God, would you help me love my enemies like you loved your enemies? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll answer that prayer, son. You're in, you're, you're in my wheelhouse now. Communion is also so important, important in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23, he says, and, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. We've already seen that commandment. 1 John 2, 7 says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but the old commandment, which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from me from the beginning. We've already seen that in Matthew, right? The great commandment. So, point C, we know, we know he abideth in us. 1 John three twenty four, And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him... And hereby know, or we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now we know that Christ is in us because he's given us the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't even be convicted over sin if you didn't have the Spirit of God to convict you. Jesus, Jesus is incredible. We know God's Spirit abides in us. He promised it, that uh, it would in John 14, 20 and John 17, 21. So he promised it. Then he kept it in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God indwelt the church. In Colossians, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 26... Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from the generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What? He says to the Corinthians, Know you not that your body is is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owns us. And John confirms it right here in John 3, 24. You want to have confidence? Just know that God abides in you. So Jesus dwells in us, and we're saved, but the saved must determine how they abide in him. In John 15, the Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. It's all about being fruitful. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. How do you get clean? Through the word of God. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. (coughs) Excuse me. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. Excuse me, I got a cough. You can. If a man abide not in me, he casteth forth as a branch. <clears throat> he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much. So shall you be my disciples. As, as the Father hath loved me, so, shall, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Very clearly, this over and over and over and over again deals with abiding in the word, 
abiding in his love, abiding in Christ. Now, how does that happen in us? Because Christ abides in us. If you're saved, you have his spirit. Are you washing your mind in the water of the word? Are you walking in the spirit? The first thing it says in the fruit of the spirit, the attribute is love, joy, peace, right? You know those attributes in Galatians chapter 5. So in conclusion, let's go back to the beginning. You know, Adam was called the son of God in Luke 3.38. Satan hated the fact that Adam had an inheritance and walked with God in the cool of the day. And God abode with Adam, and he walked with him, and he talked with him, and he entrusted to him the creation of a planet that was once the dominion of Lucifer. But before Adam knew it, right, he was under attack. Before Adam knew the knowledge of sin and death, you know what he did know? The knowledge of fellowship with the Father. He walked in the cool of the garden every day with the Lord Jesus. And beloved, I want you to understand three things that we covered. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but as we went through this passage in, this morning, it hit three verses in verse 14, verse 19, and verse 24, and they're all things that the child of God is to know. And they're also, these things are the things that Satan hates about you. The fact that you can know that you have passed from death unto life, that's a problem under the devil. The fact that he hates you because you are of the truth. You are of the truth. You're not just, like, if you're born again, you're not just like someone who knows the truth. You are, that seed is in you. You are of the truth. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You are sealed until the day of redemption. You don't just represent something about Christ. You are his ambassador. You represent Christ. You're in the target zone, buddy. You better love God and love people. Number three, he hates you <clears throat> because he knows. But most importantly, what you now know this morning, he hates you because Christ abides in you. Now, I don't say that to scare you, but I will tell you, chapter four deals with the, with the filthy, wicked spirits, and we'll get to that next week. We will have no deception. If we know the love of God, right now there's a lot of Christians in America worried about their jobs, their country, their future, and you know I understand that. There are certainly valid concerns as they seem to be very unstable and uncertain, um, the times that we live in. But the thing that John would have us to focus on is our destination after our salvation. Are you focused on the destination this morning? Because that's the thing that's going to keep you. That's the thing that's going to help you love those that hate you. right? That's what, that's what Romans tells us to do. Bless those that curse you. What kind of love is that? That's the love of God. And that, my friends, is a love that this world needs to see. They need to see a love that can only come from above. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning. I pray, God, that you would bless.